Hey, good morning, Northeast, and a big shout out to those of you joining us and worshiping with us online. Uh, we're in this, this, this discipleship series, a series called Marked, talking about the imprint that we're called to leave on others. I, I don't know about you, but when our kids were really little, uh, they would come back from birthday parties, Chuck E. Cheese, all these different places, and they would always come back with these temporary tattoos. Do you, do you remember those? And they were forever pulling them out. I didn't even know how they got so many. But apparently you provide them at your kids' parties. And they would come home. And so the conversation would instantly be, Daddy, 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 can we put this on? Can we put this on? And of course, it was never the convenient time to put it on, right? Like we're cooking dinner or we had just bathed them. And it's like, awesome, you're clean. Let's mark your body, right? Like it was always inconvenient. And yet they were always coming out, Daddy, 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 would you put this on? Would you put this on? Would you put this on? And it would never fail that in the days that would follow then, we'd start finding little pieces of these temporary tattoos all over the place. I'd go into the bathroom, you know, where they wash, and there'd be tiny little pieces like flecks of black all over the, the sink. And at least I knew they were washing, but they were leaving remnants everywhere, right? And I'd walk into a room, I'm like, oh, Ava was here. Walk in another room, oh, Ethan was here. Apparently, he was using my hand towel because there's like black flecks all over it. Thank you, son, right? I think to a great degree, this is what Jesus intended with us. When he gave that final instruction to his disciples and to us to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations, I think Jesus fully intended that we would go and leave a mark everywhere that we went. That we would go and there would be the imprint, the impact, little pieces of the gospel, little pieces of Jesus everywhere we had gone and with everyone that we had come in contact with. I think Jesus fully intends that when he returns, he would be able to walk into a place and be like, oh, Mark was here. Oh, Hogue was here. Like, I see the fingerprints. I see the imprint. I see the flex of the gospel and of Jesus left behind from the people that we've been with and the places that we've been. I think Jesus fully intended that. Jesus' intent was that we would go and we would leave a spiritual imprint because for Jesus, discipleship is transferable. Jesus' intent was that discipleship would be a transfer of faith from one person to another from you to your neighbor, and then from that person on down the line, Jesus fully intended that the gospel would be transferred on beyond us, which is why he called us to go and to make disciples, to leave a gospel mark. And this is what we see in the life and the teaching of the Apostle Paul to his disciple Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, turn there with me. The book of 2 Timothy, deep in the New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul in 2 Timothy is writing a letter to his protege, someone he's invested in, someone he has discipled. And he's leaving to him instruction as to how he's to conduct his life and conduct his ministry. And Paul here has specific instruction with some very specific intentions that Paul hopes to see out of Timothy. Paul hopes that Timothy's influence will be transferable, that the discipleship will transfer from him onto the next and from those onto those after them. 
Pick it up with me, 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you don't have it in front of me, you will put it on the screen so you can follow along. 2 Timothy 2, beginning at verse 1. Paul writes, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything, Paul writes. So stop there with me. Paul again writing to his protege, Timothy, a young Timothy, and Paul's encouraging him. He's really trying to spur him on. He opens says, you then, my, my son, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. By the nature of saying you then, Paul is playing off of something that was in chapter 1. He's playing off the context there of what he had set up. What he'd said in chapter 1 is he's calling Timothy to hold fast to the faith. Not be ashamed of the testimony, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hold fast to this. Stay at it because ministry had been tough for Timothy. So hold fast and stay at it. And more than that, he'd also encourage Timothy to look at his own example, to, to follow his own example. What was Paul's example? What, what was Paul's ministry? Timothy is living proof of Paul's ministry. Timothy is living proof of the example of Paul and his ministry. Paul's ministry was pouring the gospel out of his life into the lives of others, spending time with them, investing in them, so that this gospel imprint, this transfer, would show up in their life. And so Paul has encouraged Timothy in chapter one, hey, stick to this, hold fast to this, don't be ashamed of this, and follow my lead and my example, watch me. And so he says as he comes into chapter two, so you then... Be strengthened. And Paul's going to give two commands here. First, be strengthened, and then entrust these things to faithful men. But notice, when Paul's saying be strengthened, he's not saying be strengthened because you've seen it in me. He's not saying be strengthened because, Timothy, I know you can do it. This is, this is not a attaboy Timothy moment. This is not a, a buck, up, buck up buttercup kind of moment. He, he's not just trying to encourage him because Paul's a nice guy and Timothy's feeling a little down. He's pressing him into ministry. And he's not saying, hey, you can do this because you've seen it all in me, or you can do it because you, you memorize the right verses, you know, in your kid's program. No, he's saying, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, this isn't dependent on you. Timothy, you can do this because Jesus is with you in it. Timothy, be strengthened in what you've seen in Jesus. And that's why I'm calling you to hold fast and to lean in and to follow my example. Be strengthened, Timothy, not because you are able, but because Christ is able in you. Why is this so important for us to hear that Scripture would preserve this conversation between Paul and Timothy, his, his protege? Why does this matter to you? I think because in, in many ways, I think most of us are convinced that this call to go and make disciples is not for us or, or it's above us. 
I can't do that. I can't do what Paul did. I can't do what Jesus did. I mean, Jesus was perfect. Like, how do you compete with that? As much as I try to tell my wife that I am, cat's out of the bag. She's not buying it anymore. I can't compete with perfection and Jesus' perfect image. I can't compete with Paul. He traveled the world and he started churches. I think to a large degree, many of us in the church feel like discipleship is beyond us. I don't know enough verses. I'm not skilled enough. I haven't taken the right classes. There's no certificate on the wall. And yet hear what Paul is saying to Timothy. Paul's not saying to Timothy that you can do this because I've trained you. He's saying be strengthened because Jesus is with you. Be strengthened in Christ. Because if Christ has called you to this, and this is Christ's aim and Christ's intent and Christ's mission, then he will empower you to do the very thing that he has called you to do. I think the crisis that we have in the church is not just a crisis of of discipleship, it's a crisis of a lack of faith. We don't believe that Jesus will be with us in this. And so we don't step out. We don't speak out. And Paul's saying, Timothy, don't be strengthened by anything other than the knowledge that Jesus is alive. Jesus rose again. And be strengthened in the fact that he is not only risen again, but he left you his spirit to comfort you and empower you and equip you for everything that he has called you to do. And when we say, I'm not perfect enough and I'm still struggling and I still haven't figured out X, Y, and Z, Paul would say, be strengthened in Jesus Christ. Because right after issuing that command to go and make disciples of all nations, Jesus said, hey, all authority has been given to me. That's on the front end. And so go, and as you go, know that I'm going with you. So if Jesus is coming with us, does it matter how imperfect we are? If Jesus is coming with us, does it matter then really how much more we think we need to know? If the God of all the universe who says all authority in heaven and earth is with me, and I am going with you, then is there anything more that you need? Nothing. I love this quote from Mike Breen. Mike Breen, a pastor and an author on discipleship, he once said, people don't need a perfect example, they need a living one. People don't need a perfect example, they need a living one. The truth of the matter is we have a perfect example. There is really only one. Jesus. And we have the perfect example. He's recorded for us in the scriptures. But if I can just be really blunt and honest with you for a moment, there are times that reading the story of Jesus is hard for me because I can't relate to that. Like he just makes it all look so easy. You ever feel that way? Like, well, of course Jesus can do that because he can do anything. Turn water into wine. He can calm the raging sea. Of course Jesus doesn't have any fear and anxiety over his job or over his neighbor's. He never even had kids, lucky Jesus, right? Like, so he didn't have that going for him. Jesus is the perfect example. And I've had people who weren't perfect, but they've put a face to Jesus for me by showing up in my life. And there's been a proximity in seeing them walk out their faith that yes, though they're not perfect, it puts flesh on it for me and it helps me make sense of how I am to walk in pursuit of him too. And that for me has meant everything. 
This is what it looks like to be a husband. This is what it looks like to be a father. This is what it looks like to be a pastor because I've seen it in someone pursuing Jesus. And yes, they're not perfect, but it's real. Jesus says, I am going with you. Perfect example. And I'm sending others alongside of you. Be strengthened that I am with you. And be strengthened the fact that people aren't waiting for a perfect example. They're waiting for a real one. The real you and the real Jesus in you. But then second, Paul says, hey, what you've heard from me, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. Entrust. So two commands in this. First, be strengthened. Second, entrust. Entrust. That word entrust means deposit. Make a deposit. Paul's saying, Timothy, I want you to go and make gospel deposits in other people. Discipleship is really about making gospel deposits in the lives of those around you. Gospel deposits. And trust, deposit these things into faithful men who will go on and deposit those things into others too. Think about deposits for a moment. Think about when you, when you went to the bank, when you decided, finally someday you decided, hey, I, I actually need a savings account. And think of that moment when you decided it's time to start saving, right? Dave Ramsey was right. I need to start saving. And so what did you do in that moment when you decided you needed a savings account, you took all of the money that you knew you would ever need, that whole three months of all the expenses, just like Dave told you, all the three months of expenses, you took it all at once and went down to the bank and poof, put it into savings, right? And there, you had your savings account. That's how it worked for you, isn't it? Is that not how it worked for you? That's not how it worked for me. The saving money is like two steps forward, one step back, Right? Like, hey, we, we saved $5. Now the air conditioning broke. It cost $500. Sweet. We're saving money, right? Like that is reality. But what savings actually teaches us is that it's about slow, steady, regular, consistent deposits in order to get where you want to be. And at first, when you start out, you feel like you're making no progress at all. You, you pull up your, your bank app and you look at that number and you're like, oh, we still don't have six figures. I thought for sure. Oh, we still like, man, now the, the car needs new tires and the kid needs braces. Like, do they need to smile? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they can just not. <laughs> and you just feel overwhelmed like you're making zero progress. But you keep at it with these slow, steady, consistent deposits. And then one day, you pull up your bank app, and you're like, wow, we should go on vacation. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's, that's why we're in this mess, right? But one day, you wake up, and you realize, wow, look at that. We've never had that before. Let's keep going. And you keep going. And then one day, you wake up, and you're like, yes, finally, the same is true when we're making disciples. Paul says, hey, entrust these things to faithful men. Slow, steady, regular deposits. And when you're doing this work, sometimes it feels like, oh, I don't know if they're getting anything. I talk to the kids all the time about Jesus. I don't think they're getting anything. Still punching his sister. I was talking to my neighbors all the time, and it never feels like there's an opening. It always feels like an awkward transition. I mention church, and he walks away. I don't know what to do. Then all of a sudden, one day, you pull it up and that relationship comes up and you're like, wow, look at that. There's progress. 
I didn't think that they were listening, but now all of a sudden he's coming and asking me questions. He remembered. And all of a sudden, there's something in the account. This is discipleship. Paul says, Timothy, I want you to transfer this on. And it's going to take some work. Slow, steady, regular deposits of the gospel and Jesus in someone's life. But Jesus is with you and he will see it through. What's Paul's point in all this? Paul's saying this. Discipleship is about making consistent gospel deposits in people who will be faithful to pass it on to others. That's what discipleship is. You want to know what to do with your kids? That's what it is. Waking up every day, making the small consistent deposits. That's what it is with your neighbor. Waking up, making the small consistent deposits. It's what it is with your coworkers. Making the small consistent deposits. Discipleship is making the consistent gospel deposit into someone's life in the hopes that they will pour it out from their life into someone else. Why does this matter? Because think about it. At some point, someone stepped into your life and told you about Jesus. Up until that point, you thought you were alone. Up until that point, you thought that you'd, you'd mess it all up and there was no coming back from it. Uh, up to that point, you thought that God was up in the sky waiting for you to figure things out, waiting for you to get it right. That when we broke with God and we broke his commands, God was like, okay, here are the rules and if you follow them, then we can talk. And you've been trying to follow the rules and you realize that you couldn't until someone came into your life and was like, no, 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 no. Jesus, Jesus followed all the rules. Jesus was perfect so that you wouldn't have to be. And Jesus paid the price that you couldn't pay so that by simply receiving Jesus and trusting in him, you'd have forgiveness of sin, freedom from that shame and that guilt. Do you remember when someone first told you that? Far be it from us than not to tell someone else. Because that truth that became so important to us, Paul's saying, this truth, I want you to deposit in somebody else. And far be it for us to be the generation that doesn't deposit it. Far be it from us to be the generation that doesn't do the slow, steady, consistent work of the gospel deposits in our friends, in our family, in our neighbors. This is why it matters. This is why God preserved it. But Paul's not done. He continues, verse 3. He says, share in suffering Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned until he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So first, Paul challenges Timothy, pass on what's been passed on to you. And now all of a sudden he's talking soldiers, athletes, and agriculture. Okay, like what is the connection of this? And why is Paul suddenly spewing out three different word pictures, three metaphors? I mean, he certainly seems like he's mixing the images quite a bit here. And then at the end, he's like, hey, just think about it and God will make it clear. <laughs> if I would known that's how I could preach, that'd be awesome. Just read a scripture, think on it, God will make it clear, we'll see you next week. I mean, it saved me hours. What is Paul doing? Paul's calling Timothy, very specifically, to stay focused and to stay diligent to the work that he has been called to do. There are lots of things to distract. There are lots of things that we're tempted to invest in. Paul's saying, I want you to stay focused on what you've been called to. 
And he calls him to this, this message, with three different images. First, the image of a soldier. Verse 3, a good soldier. You're called to share in the sufferings as a good soldier. Because no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. I think Paul used the image of a soldier for two reasons here. First, soldiers are faithful to their orders. Are they not? Because if you're not, then like, you're not a soldier anymore, is what I've been told. If you're not faithful to your orders, then they, they find another place for you. Soldiers are faithful to the orders. So Paul is calling Timothy, hey, be faithful. I'm calling you to share in the sufferings with Jesus Christ like a good soldier. And a good soldier is faithful to do what he's been asked to do. Share in this, Timothy. His message is share in this. Yes, Jesus was rejected. We talked last week. We're likely to be rejected too. That's where we share in the sufferings. That's where we share in the difficulty. It's not easy to leave those deposits. And sometimes people walk away. Sometimes our kids roll their eyes. But as a good and faithful soldier, we do it again. We get back at it because we've been called to complete this mission. And I think Paul uses the image for a second reason, not just because they're faithful to the task, to the orders, but second, they're because soldiers are faithful even when it's hard. And so, yeah, people will reject you. And yeah, it will be difficult, but we stay at it. Why? Because this is what I was charged with. So I'm not getting entangled with that. I'm focused on this. Don't pull me away to, to focus on that. I'm not here to talk about your, your political leanings. I don't care. And please stop sending me that stuff on Facebook, because I don't care. And I'm not joking. I really don't care. I'm Canadian. I have, I have no dog in this hunt. No dog in this hunt whatsoever. I get asked so many times why I haven't just been naturalized and become a citizen. This is partly why, in a weird way. I don't want to get entangled in anything other than the thing I've been called to do. There are times I'm reminded I'm a foreign missionary here, and I'm great with that. Because guess what? So are you. Amen. This is not our home. These things do not have the weight of eternity behind them. You have been called, and you have been gifted and empowered to go and make disciples. Don't get entangled. I didn't do that at first service. That's a treat just for y'all. <laughs> then he uses a second image, and it's the image of an athlete. Very, very predominant and present in their times with the Greek-Roman games. Say, so, hey, an athlete, he competes according to the rules. If he wants to get the crown, you have to compete, and you have to compete according to the rules. So, Timothy, stay with it. Jesus has called you to this. Stay in the race. And do it the way that Jesus has called you to. Because if you want the crown, that's, that's how it works. You're never going to get an NBA ring if you're not with an NBA team. If you're an athlete, you got to compete and you got to compete according to the rules. Don't get distracted. Because there's no reward if you're distracted and you don't compete in what you're called to compete in. And then finally, verse 6, the farmer it's the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. The hard-working farmer, the farmer who's putting his hand to the plow, the farmer who's committed to doing the thing that he's supposed to do, 
receives the share of the crop. So many people pull this passage out and they, they use it to talk about how pastors should get paid, right? The pastor is, a, yeah, that's why he gets the first share of the crop. I appreciate the sentiment if that's how you want to look at this passage, but it's not what was intended in the passage. Paul, this is the third picture, the third major image, so he could press one major point. Timothy, stick with it. Because if you're not putting your hand to the plow, you don't get a share of the crop. If you're not competing, you don't win the crown. If you're not fulfilling the mission, you're not a soldier. Do what Jesus has called you to do. These three images create one simple point, if I put it in my own language. Don't expect great reward in heaven if you haven't been found doing the work of heaven here on earth. Don't. Don't expect great reward in heaven if you haven't been found doing the work of heaven here on earth. Because Jesus left us with this one command, go and make disciples. And yet we all reflect as Christians and we hear this phrase that Jesus said and reflecting from the scriptures like, one day I just hope that God, when I get to heaven, he'll see me and he'll be like, well done, good and faithful servant. Have you ever stop and consider what faithful means? Faithful to what? Faithful to Jesus, right? And I love Jesus. Yes, faithful to Jesus. And if you love Jesus, then faithful not just to the person of Jesus, but faithful to the command of Jesus too. You want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant? Be found doing what Jesus has asked you to do. Because the mission isn't money. The mission isn't the corner office. The mission isn't making the next rank. We're just getting your kids out to college where they still love Jesus and they haven't made any major mistakes. Praise God. We did it. That's not it. The mission is to point them to Jesus and pour into them gospel deposits so they look like Jesus. And that's the mission with neighbors and that's the mission with coworkers. It's the reason you have the job that you have. So they put you in that position to make the deposits there where no one else is. You are his ambassador there. And so to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, we need to be found doing the very things that Jesus has called us to do. Oh, but I'm not good at that. I'm terrible at this. I don't have, I don't have scripture memorized like you do. I have a cheat sheet. I cheat. But I, I'm still working through things, and I don't have X, Y, and Z figured out, and I'm still messing up a lot in my life. Listen, 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 listen. You may not know everything, but you do know something about Jesus. You may not be able to pour into everyone, but you can pour into someone You may not have arrived yet, however you define that, but you're further along in following Jesus than someone else. And the scripture is saying, just pass on what has been entrusted to you. All that God is asking us is that we'd be faithful with what we have been given and we'd be willing to pass it on to others in a way that it was first passed on to us. Chad, one of our pastors on staff, shared with me a story 
copied it out of a, a page of a book and left it on my desk one day. It was a story from overseas, a missionary. They were planting churches and preaching the gospel, and it just started exploding. People were coming to Christ left and right, and they were overwhelmed by all of these people coming to faith who were hungry for more and hungry to learn, and so overwhelmed that they didn't have enough missionaries, they didn't have enough mature people. It was just all of these new babies in Christ, as we call them, that were just hungry, hungry, hungry. And so in the midst of this, what was their strategy? Their strategy was that, hey, if you were just one or two steps ahead, then you could disciple someone. So at one point, the story goes that this guy was brought to him. And he said, yeah, I just finished reading the book of Matthew. So the missionary turns around and is like, perfect. He hasn't read Matthew yet. Go meet with him. <laughs> and that was it. He hasn't met, read Matthew yet. Go meet with him. Because you've at least read that book. So you can at least lead him through it. Why do we complicate it so much here? We tell ourselves, oh, if we haven't taken a class, if we haven't trained, if there's not a certificate on the wall, we cannot lead out in this. And yet for some reason, we think it's really cool when missionaries tell us stories like that. It's great that the church overseas is like that, but, but we're, we're better than that. I mean, let's face it, that's what we're saying, right? That's what we're saying. No. You don't have to be a perfect person. You have to be a faithful one, a willing one. And what's been entrusted to you, what's been entrusted to you, God is calling you to pass on and share with someone else. You may not know everything, but you know something. And the question is, are you willing to share what you know? Are you willing to pass along what you know? What do we do with this? What do we do with this? Two things I want to challenge us to. First, ask the Lord, Lord, who do you want me to pour into? Who do you want me to pour into? Would you be willing to pray that prayer, Lord? Who do you want me to pour into? Because here's the deal. If, if Jesus has called us to this, then he has a plan for it. Would you be willing to pray, Lord, who do you want me to pour into? And as you pray that prayer, I believe that God will open your eyes and God will help you see relationships that he's strategically placed in your life so that you can make strategic deposits of the gospel. But would you be willing to pray that prayer? Lord, who would you have me pour into? And then second, would you be willing to make the slow and steady investment in someone? Slow, steady, consistent deposits of the gospel. They just keep showing up. Read scripture, talk Jesus, read scripture, talk. What if they don't want to read scripture? Then just talk Jesus. What if they freak out every time I say Jesus? Well, then just tell them stories of Jesus, but don't say it's of Jesus. Like, do whatever you can to plant those seeds, to get the gospel in front of them. And as it begins picking up steam, as they become more open, you get the opportunity. Just plant, 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 plant. I don't know what you think discipleship looks like, but, but discipleship for me, it looks a lot like cappuccino and ice cream. True, very true. Because one of the first guys that really poured into me outside of my family, outside of my parents, was a man by the name of Greg. And in the process of building relationship with me and pouring Jesus into me, he made me my very first cappuccino. And now, for whatever reason, anytime I'm doing discipleship with someone, it just doesn't seem right to not do it with a cup of coffee in front of us. Plus, the more coffee we drink, the, the more the word of God becomes alive in us, it seems. <laughs> but Greg invited me over, and he, 
And he showed me how to make a cappuccino, and he showed me on his machine, and that was the part of a relationship where we began, and he just started showing up. He started showing up, inviting me into his life, intruding into mine. He started showing up and making slow, steady, regular gospel deposits in me. After a couple of years, one day, it's the weekend, and I'm at home and hanging out, and all of a sudden the door busts open, and it's Greg and a few of my friends, a few other guys he'd been pouring into, and they kidnap me. They just pick me up off the floor, which is not really hard, and they run out the door. I had to scream that they would at least get me shoes. They wouldn't tell me where we were going. They took me out. It was my birthday, and they took me to a fancy restaurant, and they ordered me the biggest ice cream sundae that I'd ever seen, and it had sparklers in it. They bring it to the table, and everybody's singing happy birthday, and, and it's this huge, huge thing. And we sat, and we ate, and we laughed. It's when I learned that you really don't want to eat ice cream that sprinklers had been in, and pooping all the sprinkler stuff down on the ice cream. It was crunchy. And I'll never forget that moment, like eating it and crunchy and yet talking with these friends who deeply loved me and showed up for me. And Greg, this guy who just spent years pouring into me. And part of why it was so monumental to me is because I was moving not long after that. And we were all really cognizant of the fact that this band of brothers was about to be broken up and this sweet relationship that we had and this gospel deposit was about to be gone. And yet right to the very end, he just kept making slow, steady, regular deposits. Even at that night when we're all horsing around at the table and sugared out with ice cream, he's finding ways to tie it back, finding ways to call us back to Jesus. I left and I've never forgotten those moments because someone loved me enough to show up and make the deposits. This matters. It matters because Jesus matters. I hope you know that. It matters because this is the mission that Christ has given us. And it matters because time is short and we don't know what tomorrow will hold. We celebrated earlier in the service, baptisms, this picture of new life. And we're called to, to rejoice with those who rejoice, but the scriptures also call us to mourn with those who mourn. And this week we're mourning. This, this week we're confronted with the reality of the gospel and its necessity in someone's life and that time is short. Because just this week on our, on our site, on our project, as many of you know, we're building a, a new worship center just this week, in the midst of construction, one of the subcontractors fell and he lost his life instantly. And we share this with you not to gossip. We share this with you so that we would come together as a church and pray. We share this with you because this is why we're doing what we're doing. It is not about buildings. It is about people. It is about people whose time is short. People who need to know the hope of the gospel because at any single moment, any single moment, everything in your family could change. And Jesus left you here so that we'd make a deposit in those moments that matter, that matter for eternity. 
And we've been working hard to build relationships with all the contractors there because we want them to see something different about this place. And I'm so grateful on the one hand that we got the opportunity to show up within minutes and spend the day and to build relationship through this. But I'm grieved, I'm grieved that one of those people that we didn't have a relationship with may not have ever known that Jesus died so that he would be free. And I can't help but wondering who in his life knew and did they make the deposit? It matters. And it's why Jesus has left you here. It's why we're called to do this together. Because there are people that you know and you will visit with at work this week who will never come here and never hear this message, but they will see Jesus in you if you make the deposit. Will you make the deposit? Will you make the deposit? Would you pray with me? And as we pray, would you join me in praying for a grieving family? Would you pray that they come to know the hope of heaven through Jesus Christ. Father God, you have called us to this. And the weight of eternity, God, is resting on our hearts right now, grieved for the loss of life this week. Father, it's sobering to us, but it's a reminder, Lord, of what you have left us to do, to be salt and light in the world to be the good news. But Father, we want to be the good news that gets there in time. So God, would you strengthen us? Would you equip us? And would you open our eyes? Open our eyes to the opportunities, the people you've placed on our path. And Father, strengthen us and give us the courage to make the deposit of the gospel. Father, we lift up today this family that is grieving without a father. We're clinging to the promise in the Psalms that you are near the brokenhearted. And so God, would you be near them? God, would you minister to them? And Father, would Jesus' loving people come around them to be the hands and feet of Jesus to them? And show us, Lord, how we might take part in that too. We are asking, Lord, open our eyes. Father, send us, and we ask it in Jesus' matchless name, amen. If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God is moving through this series, visit nebc.ch contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media or by subscribing to our weekly podcast. You can also stay up to date with the latest information about what's going on here at Northeast by subscribing to the Northeast News, our periodic newsletter that comes right to your inbox to keep you in the know. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples on mission for Jesus Christ.